the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In November of 2018, there was a destructive wildfire in California's Los Angeles and Ventura counties. The L.A. Times reported that it was clear from the beginning that the fire had the potential to be a monster. Today's guest, Robert Kerbeck, fought to save his home from one of the worst fires in California's history. He joins us today to share his story and to talk about the lessons that he learned. Robert is an award-winning actor and writer whose essays and short stories have been adapted to film, theater, and now his first book, Malibu Burning, the real story behind L.A.'s most devastating wildfire. Welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Joan. That was a heck of an introduction. Thank you. Well, that's your life, so thanks for living it. <laughs> I know. It's kind of one of those stories you wish, uh, you know, I wish I didn't have to go through to, yeah. to you know. Um, but, you know, now that I have, um, you know, the expression make lemonade out of lemons, and so that's what I'm trying to do. Well, so you and your family, as I said in the introduction, you fought to save your home during one of California's worst wildfires. Can you tell us about that day? When did you first learn that you were being evacuated and that your home was at risk? So um, my wife was much more on top of things than I was. Um, you know, we live um, in an area that is, um, you know, some people call it the wildfire capital of North America, which is the city of Malibu. And um, so we'd had a couple of fires, you know, kind of come close in the past. And once or twice we'd had sheriffs driving on our street yelling for us to evacuate and I think what was scariest about this fire was there were no sheriffs driving around telling us to evacuate. And so we were really kind of left on our own, um, which made this fire, you know, even scarier because you, we just didn't know how bad it was going to be. And then all of a sudden it was horrific. And so my wife had been following the news and she really made sure we got up early and she had my son kind of loading up cars with stuff uh, just to be prepared. And um, we had, over the years, been told that when these wildfires come, oftentimes the fire department uh, isn't there. And I'm, my hometown is Philadelphia. I'm not from Southern California. And so when I first moved here in 2000 to Malibu, that was very surprising to me. I didn't understand that. And uh, a couple of local friends said, yeah, you know, if you, you want to save your house, you need to be prepared. You need to buy some basic firefighting equipment and get trained how to use it. And so we did that. And so every year we had a fire pump and we have a hot tub um, and uh, we have a, a, a fire retardant called Foscheck. And every year my son and wife and I would test the pump and we'd shoot water 200 feet into the air um, so that we would be ready when and if uh, this terrible day came. And unfortunately it came. So when did you first realize that this day was different than anything you experienced before? Uh, <laughs> well, I guess the, the two things. First there was so much silence. There were no people, you know, there were no sheriffs, you know, there were no, there was nothing. There was no sound. And on the horizon above us, on the ridgeline, um, there was a orange glow and the glow was getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And that was, you know, when we kind of knew, wow, this fire is coming right at us. How much time did you have to get out of the way and into a safe place? 
Well, we didn't get out of the way uh, into a safe place uh, at first. What we right. did was, what we had trained to do is we got out all of the equipment, and um, we were set up ready to go um, to spray our house with this fire retardant FOSCheck, which is the same retardant that the fire department uses. And right as we began to uh, turn on the pump, our fire pump, which we had tested every year for 15 years, our fire pump failed. So all of a sudden now, all of the work we had done uh, was for naught. And my wife, being the genius that she is, she had looked up the night before how to hook into a fire hydrant and watched a video on YouTube <laughs> on how to do it. And so when the fire pump failed, because the idea was we were going to use the water in our hot tub, when the fire pump failed, she said, run up to the street, grab the hoses, drag the hoses up to this fire hydrant, and she walked me through how to hook up to the fire hydrant. And we ended up using the hydrant water and the check to cover our home and cover our, all our foliage with the fire retardant check. Do you think that preventative method ended up saving your home? That's a great question. Uh, I can't see how it didn't because on our home, our neighborhood basically burned to the ground. Uh, there were approximately 275 homes in our neighborhood. Almost 200 uh, were destroyed. And on the streets, our street and above, which were a little closer to the ridge line, the percentage was even higher. It was maybe even 80%. If you walk out my door and you walk left, 17 of the 19 houses were gone, were destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, so very few houses on, on our street and, and the upper part of our neighborhood made it. Uh, ours is one of the only ones, and we live in an all-wood Victorian house. So after the fire, for days afterwards, when we finally were allowed back in after the evacuation period, people would drive by, and I would see them. They would stop. They'd lower their windows. Their jaws were open, and they would literally go, how did this house survive? Mm -hmm. And I would say, I, you know, I, I can't be sure, but because we weren't here, uh, but we sprayed this thing with FOSCheck, and we sprayed the foliage. And we also had things which are really important, and one of the things that's important to me now after this experience is helping homeowners be prepared for future fires because, you know, for better or for worse, we've had four of the worst ten fires in California history in the last two years. Um, and and uh, it's, I think it's sad, but I also think it's true that these extreme fires are the new normal. And so homeowners that live in these fire zones, which now basically is, seems like it's the entire state of California and many other western states, you know, homeowners need to be more prepared. They need to have better brush clearance. They need to harden their home against fire with ember-resistant vents, which are really inexpensive to install. Um, and, and do things like that. Maybe if they're so inclined, maybe they get some of this fire equipment that we had so that they can spray their house as well. Um, and that's something that I think one of the things that happened in this fire is the fire department, of course, as you can imagine, was overwhelmed by the size of the fire. Um, so they really weren't in most neighborhoods. There were no firefighters in our neighborhood. So you were really, locals called it the yo-yo fire. You're on your own. And so what happened is because so many people evacuated, when one home in a neighborhood burns, it makes it much more likely that the home next door is going to burn, and it creates a domino effect of burning homes. Um, and so I think if homes were hardened to, to, to resist these fires a little bit better, and if there were some people that were trained, um, a lot of locals now are creating fire brigades um, so that people can stick around, people that are inclined, people that are trained, um, and that can really make a big difference because some neighborhoods that did have fire brigades and fire volunteers, they were only able to lose a fraction of the homes that my neighborhood did. Robert, what was it like to be standing there and to see this raging monster coming at you? Uh, you know, it was pretty incredible. Um, I've heard a lot of people say this, and I experienced it too, is that if it wasn't potentially going to kill you, you would be thinking about how beautiful it was, um, mm -hmm. you know, to see that much fire, to see these colors that, you, you know, I hope I'll never see in my life. Um, it was pretty staggering. Um, when the fire came over the ridge, I mean, the flames looked like they were 100 feet tall, um, and they probably were. And we were spraying the house, um, and, and my wife, of course, was on the fire hose. <laughs> she was the, the, real, the real hero, the real firefighter. Um, and my son and I were using garden hoses to spray, you know, what little vegetation we had to just kind of 
give everything its best chance to survive. Uh, we'd moved all the lawn furniture inside the house. You know, we, we'd done everything we could to give our house the best chance possible. And then when the fire came over the ridge, it was only minutes, I mean, literally minutes, and the fire tra- traveled, you know, a half a mile in, in a minute, two minutes. And it came over the ridge, 100-foot flames, and then the next thing we knew, fireballs were being thrown at us and landing in our yard. And at that point, my wife said, you know, we got to go. And we had done the best we could. We'd prepped the house as best we could. We'd sprayed it, you know, pretty much entirely. And then we basically, it was time to to get out. And as we were doing that, that was kind of the scariest moment um, because there was fire everywhere. And uh, homes up and down the street were already on fire. And um, and evacuating was, was quite scary. I can't even imagine what it's like to return home and see everything gone. H- how are your neighbors doing today? It's it's tough. It's really tough. And and um, you know, as, you know, I you know I you know I tell people I live in Malibu, and of course they assume immediately that you're um, super rich. Mm-hmm. And my neighborhood, most of the people in my neighborhood um, purchased their properties in the 70s and in the 80s and even in the 90s when, and we forget these things today, before the invention of the Internet, you know, people couldn't live this far away and go to work. You know, there aren't really a lot of jobs and in industry out here. So many of the people that settled out here were actually blue-collar people. They were firefighters. They were sheriffs. They were teachers. Most of my neighborhood uh, are their, their, their positions were one of those three things. And so um, they couldn't afford to live in Beverly Hills. They couldn't afford to live in, in West Hollywood, so they came to Malibu. And um, unfortunately, many of these people were older, they lost their homes, and they didn't have enough insurance. And so quite a few of these people are not going to be rebuilt, able to rebuild, and that's really the saddest thing. So by contrast, you include some famous people in your book, people like Bob Dylan, Sean Penn, Kevin Dillon, Julia Roberts, just to name a few. Can you share something that they told you about this experience? Sure. Um, one of my favorite stories is the actor Kevin Dillon, who played Johnny Drama in the HBO series Entourage, um, and also starred in um, amazing films like Platoon and The Doors. And of course, Kevin is the younger brother of Matt Dillon, who's also quite a famous actor. And Matt lives um, in a neighborhood next door to my neighborhood. His neighborhood is called the Bonsall neighborhood. And it's a very lush community, a lot of farms there, something else people don't kind of picture when they think of Malibu. They don't think that they're farms, um, but there are. And um, Kevin, um, which really shocked me, Kevin stayed behind uh, to fight the fire by himself. And um, as a matter of fact, he evacuated his daughter and his girlfriend and went back despite his manager telling him not to go back, his, his uh, movie star brother Matt telling him not to go back, um, everybody telling him not to go back because obviously at the end of the day, one of the last people to, that can afford to get you know, burned in a fire is, is an actor. And yet Kevin went back and he spent... Um, the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fighting the fire, and basically he drew a line on his street, um, and he and a couple of other neighbors that stayed behind, there were only a few, they stopped the fire at their street from getting any further below them because they were there and because they didn't let their homes burn. One of the things that happened with these fires is if, if there was like a little minute, bit of a fire break, uh, it really could stop the fire from going any further. And um, one of the saddest stories uh, for Kevin was he his across the street neighbor is Nick Nolte, and Kevin and Nick were very close. And Kevin tried to save Nick Nolte's house, tried very hard, um, putting himself in extreme risk, and he was unable to do it. Um, and he had to sit and watch as Nick Nolte's house burned to the ground. Robert, what changes do you hope the government and first responding agencies make to help fight fires? Well, I mean, I think the simplest thing that it, 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 you know, I'm, I'm going to just start with my fellow homeowners because, you know, all the locals in Malibu um, and, you know, one of the things many of your listeners may know and may not know, which is, that, you know, that Malibu, even though it has this reputation of being the home of the rich and the famous, it's really a small town of 13,000 people, many of whom have lived here for generations. Most of the people here aren't rich. Most of the people here aren't famous. But what they are and what they do have is a sense of that original kind of um, 
frontier mentality. And so that there's a bit of a sense of, you know, you, you know, you're prepared to do things on your own. People here can, can, you know, hook up a generator. People here can, you know, uh, uh, fix their roof if they get a hole in it, you know. Um, so there's a bit of that, that mentality that exists today. Um, and I think that that's important because, what we saw with the fire department is they were overwhelmed by the size of the fire. And so if homeowners can harden their homes, um, one of the things I mentioned earlier is um, a lot of the times these fires, there are so many embers in the air and these embers, um, especially from flammable trees, and these embers can travel for miles. And so you might not even be near where there's an immediate fire. And the next thing you know, there's a fire in your backyard. And these embers, if they get inside your house, and usually that obviously hopefully during a fire you're not going to have open windows and doors but they get in through your vents and so it's really important to have these ember resistant vents that's something homeowners can do another thing homeowners can do which makes a huge difference is remove flammable landscaping you know we have a lot of trees here in southern california some of them are quite beautiful and sometimes people don't realize how flammable they are one of them you know it's it goes with california the palm tree but palm trees are incredibly flammable and when they go off they fire embers, and those embers can obviously create more fires. So the main trees that are um, a lot of Californians and my local neighbors now are, are cutting them down left and right are these pine trees, eucalyptus trees, and palm trees um, because they're just so dangerous. Um, and part of me wishes the firefighters would ban those trees. Um, they, they list them on, they, on all their materials as high-risk landscaping, and they have, like, you know, red, red you know, arrows over them like x's over them saying don't plant these but if you want to plant them you still can you know and i'm a little surprised that the fire department hasn't come down and said look you know these trees are making our jobs much harder putting our lives at risk putting homeowners at risk so that's something i think that those things are relatively easy for homeowners to do robert surviving a national disaster is a life-changing experience how has your life changed since the fire do you see things differently Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, as as sad as, you know, the fire was and seeing all my neighbors burned out, um, the community has really rallied together. Um, and um, I've met uh, many neighbors that I didn't know before and developed relationships with neighbors that I didn't know before, um, you know, spent time with, socialized with neighbors that I didn't know before. And we all look out for each other now in a way um, that is different. Unfortunately, you know, our neighborhood, we lost so many homes. There's been some looting. And so the neighbors, we've developed a neighborhood watch. We recently had a neighborhood get together. Um, so it's, it's kind of been, um, uh, you know, one of the silver linings that people have really come together in a way. You know, and in, in Malibu, again, it's a small town, so you, we were always close, but it's now, I, I feel like I know everybody and everybody knows me and I wave to people on the road now, which I didn't do before. And, and that's really beautiful. Um, and, and I'm really proud of the town, the way the town has, has come together. It's interesting how you find those blessings from a tragedy. And uh, Robert's book is Malibu Burning, the real story behind L.A.'s most devastating wildfire. If you'd like to learn more about Robert and his work, you can visit robertkerbeck.com. Robert, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your experience. You know, we read about these stories or we see them on the news, but hearing what you went through firsthand, it truly brings it to life. And and I believe it illustrates just how quickly everything can change. So thanks for being here and for sharing. And I'm so happy that you and your family are okay. Well, thank you. And thanks for for listening. And and, um, I hope that, um, you know, my book can do a tiny bit to make us safer in the future. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctors told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to foreveryoung.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number foreveryoung.org. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. She is the co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. She's here today to discuss when you don't have feelings for your newborn. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. So, Catherine, when we have a baby, as mothers, we believe that we will fall deeply in love with this child and, and that we'll experience those feelings the minute we set eyes on the baby. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Why is that the case? I think for many women, there's this expectation that they're going to fall madly in love with this, with this new child and that there's a pressure, actually, to feel that way, right? That if you expect it and you've heard it and you see it in social media and on TV and all around, you're setting yourself up to have a very particular experience that doesn't happen frequently, and it doesn't make you a bad mother or a bad person or unloving in any way, shape, or form. You've never met this baby, right? They've been a fantasy in your head, even if as they were gestating in your body. You know, you, you have to get to know them. That deep love that people expect to feel is a setup for, for feeling defective and deficient, that's actually very interesting because it goes against what most of us believe. And, and so you, you use the word frequently in that. So not having those feelings then could be considered more, quote unquote, normal. You got it. That's exactly. It, it's funny you say it that way because, you know, upwards of 80% of women will have what's called the postpartum blues, right? The baby blues, which we think happens because you're at, you know, at the end of pregnancy, your, your highest levels of progesterone and estrogen and hormones that are 
you know, surging throughout the body. And then they, you go through the process of labor and then delivery. And a few days after that, you, during those few days after you've had the baby, right, you can see, oh, I've lost weight because the baby's come out, but you're losing fluid. And, and these hormones are shifting and plummeting, right? You're going from the highest levels to the, the, the lowest levels. And, and it's that, that difference between the high, high and the low, low of the hormones that puts you into this kind of hormonal and also mood sensitivity tailspin. And that's what defines and describes the blues. And it's happening also at that time, one, you're supposed to be falling in love with your kid when you feel sort of, you know, these ups and these downs. And so to your very good point, I would say to people, you're the unusual person who falls madly in love with their baby. When you do go through this, is it common to have outsiders say things like, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to love your baby. Does that just fuel the oh, fire? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect question. It, it, it absolutely does. It makes it, it makes us feel worse. It makes us feel like we are, maybe we are defective, that the, the person on the outside doesn't get what's happening on the inside for us. The outside and the inside don't match up. And when that's the case, it's often missed. And so unless you're telling someone, they're not going to know it. So, Catherine, what do you advise when we're going through all of these physical and emotional changes? What can we do to move through this and to manage them? Well, I, I hate to, to say it's our responsibility and put the onus on like the new mom, because that's a very difficult um, you're in a diff at a difficult time, but if you can say how you feel, speak up when you're down or, you know, speak the secret. Don't be scared to say how you feel because that will help diffuse and relieve and, and get you on your way to feeling better, believe it or not, if you share that. One other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say to those on the other side, right, not so not for the new mom, but those around a new mom, look at them in the eye and say, how are you? And just wait, just pause, hold the gaze and really mean what you're asking. And it's such a powerful and believe it or not, simple thing to do that really says to the other person, I, I want to know how you feel. I mean what I'm asking. Are you okay? Are you good? Because if you are, that's great. But if you're not, I want to know. Catherine, are there any signs that someone should be aware of that would tell them that this is more than the normal baby blues and it might be time to seek professional help? There are many, but they're not always easy to spot. So the baby blues are, are not a consistent or persistent state. They typically happen a few days after birth till a, a couple weeks after. And during that time, they're not happening sort of permanently. That whole time is not only the baby blues, right? It happens in moments of hypersensitivity or as we say, mood lability, really high or really low, or you're crying while you're laughing at the same time. It's this weird mix of, quote, hormonal feelings where you just kind of feel off, but highly raw. And that doesn't, that's not every minute of those two weeks, but it's moments during that that can feel very profound. But then you recover and you're like, okay, and then you go on with your day or your life or whatever. When those feelings or those moments continue to add up or crescendo or um, happen more frequently, and then they're going on beyond two weeks or three weeks, you're talking about something else. But when it goes on and persists and there's a sense of hopelessness or effortfulness that doesn't make sense or fatigue that's to the bone and not just because you're not sleeping when the, because you're a new mom or, um, or your appetite's off or you're, you're feeling like, you know, life is sort of bleak and it's black and white as opposed to having any color in it. Then you're starting to talk about depressive symptoms. And also depressions in the postpartum can look very anxious. So you might be, you know, keyed up or just really overly vigilant or super cautious in a way that's not allowing you to socialize. Or it's all these words and things or experiences that really are telling you something more is going on. The book is What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. If you would like to get more information about Dr. Berndorf and her work, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us and for bringing awareness to this common problem. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. 
you want to help someone who could use a hand? Christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year, but it can also be the saddest and the loneliest. While many people experience the joy of the season blessed with abundance, others struggle to put food on the table. Wouldn't it be wonderful to share your blessings with those less fortunate, to let them know that they're loved and not forgotten? Through Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's third annual Feed a Family initiative, you can provide a nourishing, festive holiday meal to those in need. Working with local charities, we'll be distributing boxed pre-cooked dinners. Each meal comes complete with meat, vegetables, salad, sides, and dessert. It's easy to help out. Simply visit cyacyl.com slash holiday meal to learn more or to place your order. That's cyacyl.com slash holiday meal. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. When our next guest, Bethany Hamilton, was 13 years old, she lost her left arm to a 14-foot tiger shark. At the time, she was a rising surf star, and the attack seemed to end her dreams. But one month later, Bethany returned to surfing, and within two years, she had won her first national surfing title. At 17, she realized her dream of surfing professionally. Bethany's faith in iron will prove that anything in life can be accomplished, no matter what the obstacle. As she says, I don't need easy, I just need possible. Bethany is a professional surfer, author, and motivational speaker. Welcome, Bethany. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Bethany, you went through a very difficult period in your life, and you were able to turn all of that around. I can only imagine how challenging it was for you. Were there times when you wanted to give up and say, I can't do this anymore? Oh, yeah. So, I think the initial loss of my arm definitely had my world upside down and I didn't know if I would be able to surf and I didn't know what I would be able to do. Um, But I got my first hint of inspiration from a guy by the name of Mike Coots who had lost his leg to a shark and he actually learned how to surf with one leg. And he's like, hey, I think you can surf with one arm. So once I got the inspiration to surf, I was determined to get back out there. And for me, is more than just like a hobby or something to pass the time with like it was a deep rooted passion and still is today and so that kind of um yeah I guess the passion and love of it kept me going and having a hint of inspiration and I also had like my faith in God and I knew that God was in control of the situation and I thought that okay God like whatever you have from here, it's going to be okay, and let's just see what we can do. (laughs) So, Bethany, you found the motivation to get back and to live the life that you had always dreamed about doing, but when did you realize that you could turn all of this pain into something positive, that you could be an inspiration for others? When I think back of my teenage young self, um, I kind of immediately recognize that for some reason I'm going to be able to take this story and encourage other people in their journey. And I think it was because when I was in the hospital, I had talked to a few other people in the hospital and I was just really positive and uplifting and kind of like upbeat. And Mm so I already in the hospital was like encouraging other people. And so it started really, like, right away. I just knew that, okay, there's good is going to come from this situation. And now, in hindsight, um, being a mother and an adult, I look back and I'm like, wow, the amount of good that's come from the loss of my arm is, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like, I love the life that I get to live and all the good that's come from what seems like such a tragic event. Um, it's really been a blessing for a lot of people. So sometimes our pain is, it's worth going through. Bethany, when I watch people like you surfing and I see the size of those waves, I don't know how you do it. Is there ever a time that you're afraid of, you know, when you see that wave coming, is there ever a time that you're afraid? Oh, yeah. Every surfer deals with fear. (laughs) I think it's just like we 
kind of embrace the fear and like the challenge and um yeah I think that's partially what keeps us coming back is just kind of the challenge of dealing with that fear but also the adrenaline and beauty of riding those sort of waves is really exciting and um just it's a really unique challenge you know when you watch someone surfing to me it's almost like you know when you're when you're starting to go up on the wave and you see it beginning to curl over you to get ready to break and you're almost in that tunnel to me that's kind of an illustration of what life is like we're here and you have all these challenges that ride over us but when you're surfing it you're able to navigate your way through that tunnel and i always just think it's such a beautiful illustration of what life really is like. Yeah, for sure. And well, I think the ocean brings a lot of different metaphors and just all the challenges it brings your way. And, you know, sometimes just paddling out and trying to get out to where you go to catch the waves can be like the hardest part of the day. And, or you have wipeouts and you got to get back on your board and get back out there. Or, or sometimes you have conflict with other people and it's just, that's life like there's constant challenges and so now um being almost a 30 year old and I'm a mother of two I share all this in my new documentary Unstoppable and I think a lot of us can live an unstoppable life it's just a matter of how we approach the challenges that come our way and just how we um kind of look at each day in our mindset and where we place our hope. So, Bethany, you just mentioned your new documentary, Unstoppable. How did you get involved in this project, and what is the goal of it? So, Unstoppable, um, you know, many people know my story from my first film, uh, Soul Surfer. But Soul Surfer only goes until about a year after I lost my arm. And a lot had happened since I um, since then. And my surfing had gotten really... Um, like I had turned professional and was really pushing women surfing and I had met the director in another film project he was working on and he was like, hey, we should do a short film on just your high performance surfing. So we started off just to make a short film and then long story short, we put so much time into that and a lot in life had changed and my team and I just felt like, wow, like there's so much that hasn't been shared and most people don't know the real Bethany, so the documentary really captures me and the like in my raw element of the ocean, and yeah, just accomplishing different challenges and goals, and just pushing it in the sport of women surfing. Bethany, your story—it's a—it's a very dramatic illustration of overcoming a challenge. But there are different types of challenges that each one of us faces on a daily basis, some more major than others. But generally speaking, what would you say to someone who just wants to give up, who believes that he or she cannot achieve a dream or or just can't face what it is they're going through? What advice do you offer that person? My advice would be um, we can all overcome more than we know we can and to just trust that there is beauty and goodness on the other side of this challenging uh, maybe maybe it's as far as awful time and for me it was really trusting in God and knowing that God had more for my life beyond the challenges that I was facing and yeah I think challenges are constant in life and it's just being able to adapt and and um, deal with them positively and look for the good and beauty in things and um, just keep it positive and know that like you can overcome and also I just encourage people to find community that is going to help them get through that time and if it's not family a friend or just seek out help because we all need a shoulder to lean on at one time or another. Bethany, where can our listeners go to get more information about you or your new movie, Unstoppable? You can check out my website, um, bethanyhamilton.com. Okay, once again, that's bethanyhamilton.com. Bethany, thank you so much for joining us, and I wish you much success with this new project. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Do you wonder if you need to be on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and Snapchat and Pinterest and TikTok? And quite frankly, are you exhausted just hearing all those names? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures with a social media simplified tip. Focus on what makes sense for you. You don't have to be the best social media poster on every platform. It's okay to breathe and take a step back. Figure out which platform you're the most comfortable with. And then ask yourself, where are the people who would be interested in what you have to say? If you're posting on social media for your business, where do you think the majority of your customers are going to find you? Your answer may just be Google and not social media. But if you don't ask the question, you won't find out the answer. For example, you may like Instagram because you like to post photos and a quick write-up. But the majority of the customers seem to find you through LinkedIn. The answer is clear. You can do both, but make sure your business message is crystal clear to your customers on LinkedIn, followed by Instagram. What about personal profiles? We recommend keeping your personal profile and your business profile separate. Let's face it, your Uncle Joe wants to see what your children are doing on vacation, but your customers only want a quick peek behind the scenes of your business, not the beach. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Come get social with Sue. Is your child struggling to finish tests on time? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, performance coach, productivity guru, and founder and chief brainiac of New Jersey's most awarded tutoring company, Brainstorm, which offers private in-home tutoring for all school subjects, standardized tests, and college applications coaching. Now, many people are allergic to running out of time on tests. They equate running out of time with failure. Obviously, I need to do everything in my power to finish on time, they think. The truth is typically different. Unless you are a high-soaring overachiever looking for near perfection, you have room in your performance for incorrect answers. Most people, in other words, can get their goal score and still get a great number of questions wrong. With this in mind, I always advise students to focus less on the obsession with sprinting through a test at full speed. And of course, that often results in finishing on time but with terrible quality. And I tell them instead to focus more on quality work that gets the job done, even if it means running out of time. So the takeaway here is focus not on rushing to finish on time. Finishing on time is not the goal. A certain score, a B plus, maybe a 1300 SAT, that's the goal. And there are clever ways to make that happen even if you can't finish on time. If you'd like to learn more about these kinds of ways to learn and you like access to New Jersey's elite core of academic coaches and admissions experts, check out stormthetest.com. Have you ever had a conversation with your doctor about your medication options, or do you just accept what's prescribed? Each health insurance carrier has their own list of commonly prescribed medications and their associated cost level. Not all medications are covered, so it's important for you and your doctor to refer to this list to determine the most cost-effective choice for you. Hi, I'm Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder of PSI Consultants, located in Glenrock, New Jersey. We have specialized in personal insurance and company-sponsored health benefits since 1985. Generally speaking, drugs will be classified in one of four cost levels or tiers. Tier 1 is the lowest cost and includes mostly generic. Tier 2 is the mid-range cost and is a mix of brand and generic. Tier 3 is the highest cost and includes mostly brand. And Tier 4 is for specialty drugs that may require special handling, storage, administration, and may need to be filled at designated pharmacies to be covered. The FDA requires that generic drugs be as safe and effective as their brand name counterparts. So then why are they so much cheaper? When a drug company brings a new drug to market, they have invested a substantial amount of money on research and development, getting FDA approval, manufacturing, marketing, and distribution. Once patents expire, generic drug manufacturers can roll out their version without having to recapture the capital outlay, unlike the brand name company. Therefore, they can offer the medication at a lower cost. Competition from other generic companies drives the cost down even further. Being knowledgeable about your benefits as well as having regular discussions with your doctor will help ensure that you are making the most cost-effective decisions. To contact us and learn more, please visit our website, psi-consultants.com. When did you last feel like the vibrant person that you are? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awaken Sound Health. You are vibrant. You are as radiant as the stars. Your life is as rhythmic as the sea. Or maybe not. 
When anxiety and stress take over, it can knock you off your rhythm and dim your light. If this is you, it may be time to try vibrational sound therapy. Vibrational sound therapy, or VST, is a specific technique that utilizes hand-hammered therapeutic singing bowls, a modern version of Tibetan singing bowls, that are crafted with precision to produce a pure tone and a strong vibration. When placed on the body, the vibrations pulse deep into your muscles, ligaments, tendons, and all of your body's soft tissue to release the tension that is held there. It's like a massage, only better. No one's hands touch your body and you don't need to remove your clothes. At Awaken Sound Health, our certified vibrational sound therapists individualize your treatment and experience so you can relax, release tension from your body, and leave with a restored spirit. Walk in frazzled, leave floating. Vibrational sound therapy gives you back your rhythm and rekindles your light. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical intervention. Learn more and book an appointment at awakensoundhealth.com. productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is amy collins author of the book infant inspiration and creator of the online course moms courageous women raising the next generation amy promotes thoughtful conversations around motherhood her insightful perspectives look to empower mothers to own their role clarify how it works best for them and confidently express it she's here today to discuss gentle parenting. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's always good to see you. So, Amy, today we're going to discuss something that's referred to as gentle parenting. But before we get into the details of this parenting style, let's start with the word gentle. What does that word mean to you? Well, it's interesting, Joan, because most of the time, especially in today's culture, people think negatively of the word gentle. They think, oh, no, I don't want to be known as gentle because it's seen as like a weakness or you can get run over. But that is absolutely not the case because when someone's gentle, they can have a gentle spirit and a gentle demeanor. But that means really that it's power under control. So when we're described as gentle, it means that we know what our values are and we will fight for them, but we will do it in a very calm, mindful way. Therefore, again, we have our power under control. Okay, so can you give us an example of gentle parenting in action? Sure. So, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, you hear, you hear parents in the park, don't run, stop, stop, don't run, don't run. And, you know, they're yelling and, uh, you know, they get all flustered and the kids are still running and they're chasing them. Really, an example of gentle parenting would just to simply say, first of all, to stay calm, right? We don't need to be yelling, but to firmly say what we want instead of what we don't want. So to say, walk instead of don't run, don't run, don't run. Mm -hmm. as our voice gets higher and higher, you know, and just say it calmly and firmly and boldly because that's the behavior you want. And so you want to demonstrate that behavior as well. So do you believe that parents can be gentle and still be strong disciplinarians? Absolutely. In fact, good parenting definitely does not have to be about yelling and bribing. Instead, you know, there's a book called Parenting Without Stress and Dr. Marvin Marshall in that there's, he says something along the lines of that, you know, we don't need to yell or bribe. Instead, we need to clearly communicate with our children what we're looking for them to do. And when we're gentle, it's really about being clear and powerful and therefore motivating our children to do what we want because they really ultimately want to do it as well. Someone needed to teach this to my Italian parents. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Amy, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Amy and her work, or if you'd like to get a copy of her book, Infant Inspiration, you can visit her website, amymcollins.com. And as always, to hear more from Amy, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Amy. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. 
We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.